Welcome to Oslo International Church's podcast, where we share weekly reflections from our community of faith. If you'd like to explore more of our resources or join us for a service, visit our website at oslointernational.church. And now, here's the message from our last Sunday service with Pastor Mike on Storenagel. So I am, I am from Brazil, as I mentioned before when I welcomed you all to this, to this time and to this service. And uh, one of the things that I really appreciate about living in Norway is, is the sense of security. I, I can sort of walk on the streets here, I feel, as carefree as if I was in a shampoo commercial, you know, suns the hair. It's like, I don't worry. And once in a while I'll meet someone who moved here from the Norwegian countryside, maybe a small island somewhere on the west coast or whatever, and thinks that also is big and a bit scary and kind of dangerous. And that, you know, that's not really the vibe that I get. <laughs> I guess everything is a matter of, of point of view and of experience. I grew up in Brazil uh, doing things like keeping a small value bill in my wallet and then putting the rest of my money in my sock just in case I got mugged. But not in Norway, not in Norway. Here you can just go around feeling almost like the thought of stealing your stuff doesn't even cross people's mind until you own a bike. (laughs) Yeah, you all know what I'm talking about. What's with Norian bicycles? It's like people have stuff worth thousands of crowns just laying around in their gardens, in their balconies. Nobody touches it, right? But as soon as you have that bike parked, you know, with a substantial lock and a proper bolted down bike rack, it will, it will be gone by morning. I don't, I don't get it, but it is what it is. So I have a strategy. I'm not proud of it, but you know, when it comes to bike, Oslo is, is the wild west. It's each man to its own. So I have a strategy. Whenever I have to park my bike somewhere, I try to park it by a nicer bike that has a cheaper lock. (laughs) And it's surprising how often you will find an expensive bike locked with something that you could cut through with a nail clipper or something. And it's baffling to me, right? As a Brazilian, I will lock my bike with three different locks and about four different kinds of prayers and incantations. Right? I, don't, I don't just leave it there. If I can't find a bike that looks nicer than mine, I'll look for one that looks just as nice or looks like the next best thing, but it still has a cheaper lock. And the logic is simple, right? If, if a thief only has so much time to do the stealing, it's easier and it's quicker to cut through a cheap lock and get to the next best bike that it is to work through all the locks on the pastor's bike and risk being cursed, right? So, envy, greed, it can go both ways, can it? It can go towards those and that which we consider better or more desirable. It can also go towards that which we consider less but more vulnerable, easier to break. 
We've been talking a lot about envy and greed as we spend time with the letter of James in this part of our Ordinary Faith series. We've been talking a lot about this logic of the world that James is working with or or calling our attention against, in which the world is seen as a place in which there is only enough to go by and you have to guarantee it for yourself at the expense of the other. We've been talking a lot about these things. Especially last week, we spent some time talking about the logic of envy. Today, we want to look at what happens when that logic acts downwards. Emphasis on the air quotes here, right? Rather than upwards, whatever that means. Today's text puts us in a position of, of that bike thief. Thinking, if I can't get that expensive bike, at least I can break the weaker lock. I want to read it with you. James chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 11 of chapter 4 to verse 6 of chapter 5. I'm reading from the NRSV. Uh, If you're not familiar with this, there's a lot of different translations, right? We're working with the Bible in English as a translation, and sometimes they don't exactly match on the wording, so some things look a bit different between, even in the same translation, different years and all that sort of thing. Uh, So that's why sometimes there's a bit of a difference in text. So if you didn't know that, there you go. So this is, this is what James says. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this and do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be evidence against you and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts on a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. James, always subtle and chill, isn't he? What is James going about now? One of the things we wanted to do with this series on the letter of James was to to go through the whole letter. Sometimes we keep on getting like bits and bits and pieces of, of the Bible and miss 
sort of the whole literary structure and themes of it. So we wanted to go through the whole letter together, at least for those of us who are here more often, but get a sense, right? And it's not a long letter compared to, to many others in, in the New Testament, but it's still long enough and dense enough that it's kind of a challenge to go through it in only six Sundays, which is what the time that we had allotted for this. So we've been looking for some ways in which the structure and the content of the letter can be understood more thematically, which uh, you may have noticed already with these weird cuts of verses and where things are. So the question is, what's the theme here today? Why am I taking these verses from 4.11 to 5.6 as as some kind of, of unit? What's the connection between them? Why do I think they make sense as a whole for today's reflection? Well, because this whole section can be understood as being essentially about one thing. Arrogance. Arrogance. Arrogance is shown throughout this text, and Jane presents us with three we could say stereotypical, but also very real and concrete examples of arrogance. Arrogance is the downward movement or the lateral movement of envy and greed. Arrogance is focusing on the weakness of that or those which we consider equal but easier to break or we consider less and easier to oppress or to crush. I guess not not only, right? Sometimes arrogance is also aimed towards those and that which we secretly envy. But it does so under the pretense of despising. And just like James did with envy, He also shows us that arrogance is more than a feeling or a predisposition or an abstract thing. He shows us that arrogance is both the root of the actions that it engenders in the world and the actions themselves. Arrogance is speaking evil against one another. Slander is is the word in some translations, and it's a good one. Arrogance is speaking evil against one another, and so setting up a narrative in which we are considered or at least try to make ourselves seen as being superior. Arrogance is going around our business as if we were entitled to success. Arrogance is building our comfort at the expense and suffering of others, which is something we can only do if we ultimately think that we are worth more than they are. It's the scaffolding in the building of corruption. Arrogance. James' examples, they're quite stark, and they grow in intensity. From slander among the people in the community to these efforts of business and money-making to the big pictures of corruption and oppression. And it's important to pay attention to the range 
Because it's easy for us to argue arrogance as the problem of others. Especially others that we consider to have more power, more influence than us. But James' range includes us. It must. He is writing not to the powerful of the world, but to the community of faith, which was often and often is the community of the broken. It must include us. And we know it, don't we? We know it. Whomever never spoke an evil word about another, a piece of malicious gossip, a word of despise, let them throw the first stone. And the hubris of the second example of James go around from this town to that one, doing business and saying we're going to do this and that. It might look like some unscrupulous businessman. But if we dig into it, which we often don't because it's uncomfortable, right? But how much of our time, how much of our effort, how much of our energy, how much of our bodies do we spend on our education, on our careers, on our money-making, hoping to secure a comfortable retirement, a comfortable house, a standard of living that we somehow think we need and that we somehow tie our worth to? How much time do we go around feeling bad about ourselves because we're so-and-so age and still don't own property or whatever it may be? And all the while, life is just running by, and we have no control over it. And we try, we pretend, but we don't. Our kids are growing. Our bodies are weakening. And who knows if it will be worth it or what being worth it even means. Now, I'm not saying that we are all doing that as, as conscious exercises of arrogance. That's not what I'm saying. But we're all sort of dancing our way through a system that encourages and thrives on the kind of aspiration that is soaked in the logic of envy, of desire, of arrogance. That's sort of the spiritual algorithm of our times, isn't it? It's in Instagram, it's in our workplace, it's in the corporate world, it's in education, it's in the clothes we wear as we go through the streets. It's all over. And we may not be powerful, corrupt people. Maybe we don't fraud workers in our companies or oppress workers in our field. But we sure do elect them and stack our shelves in our homes with the stuff that they sell us, don't we? And how do we justify our comfort against the suffering of those workers? No, I'm not saying that there's an easy way out of this. I'm not even saying that there is a clear, hard one, that if we just agree with it, everything would be fine. I'm not saying that we're all happy with how things are. I would like to think that we aren't, that we're trying our best to figure ways around it. I'm just saying that all of this is there. It is part of the same picture that we are a part of. 
It's in the same air that we breathe. And we need to acknowledge that it's there and we need to acknowledge our part in it. Because ignoring is another form of arrogance, isn't it? Ignoring is another form of arrogance because it presumes that we are entitled to not caring. So how does James address the issue of arrogance? If we read the text carefully, we'll see that James presents a pattern. And the first thing is that to every example of arrogance, and there's three of them, three main ones in this text we read, James responds with calling attention to God. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against one another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. And this is language pointing to God and to Christ. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will do such and such and we'll make business and we'll make money, yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, if God wishes, we will live and do this or that. And then come now, you rich people, your riches have rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten, your gold and your silver have rusted, you have laid up treasure for the last days. But the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. He calls attention to God. And in calling attention to God, James is also calling attention to how weak our grasp on life and on reality actually is. He calls attention to our lives and he calls attention to our finitude. And that is, that is not a new notion. It is well established both in the moral and ethical teachings of the ancient Greek and Roman world where James is, is a part of, right? This is in first, second century after Christ. And it's also well established in the Jewish wisdom tradition. If you're familiar uh, with, the, with the scriptures and with the Hebrew scriptures, Maybe you think of Song of Songs, or maybe you think of Solomon. Maybe you think of Ecclesiastes. It's all running after the wind, says Kohele, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. It's not a new thing. The basic idea is that considering our limit and our finitude helps us keep our arrogance in check. It's sort of... YOLO with more consistent philosophical and theological reflection, right? You only live once. Have you heard this? But James doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. To every example of arrogance, James responds with calling attention to God and then has God calling our attention to each other. Every time calling our attention to each otherness. Whoever speaks evil against, against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. 
Anyone then who knows the right things to do and fails to do it commits sin. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out in the cries of the harvesters. You have condemned and murdered a righteous one who do not resist you. Every time he calls attention to God, and God calls attention to this each otherness. And a key verse in understanding James' logic here is verse 11. And this idea that, that slander, that speaking evil of one another, is putting oneself above the law. And the subtext here reveals not only a way of dealing with arrogance, but a way of dealing with the law, a way of dealing with our spirituality, a way of dealing with our core values, and that upon which we make our ethical and moral and life decisions. If our actions inflate the self and reduce the other, they are arrogance. If our use of the law inflates the self and reduces the other, it is arrogance. And we are putting ourselves above that very law. It is hyperiphania. That's the word in Greek. It's the Greek word for arrogance. And I was curious about it. What does it stand for? Hyperiphania, that hyper word we heard, right? It means over. And hyperiphania means above think, to think over. And the way it was used in Greek in the first century was that it means to think that you are above. To think of yourself as above. The argument of James in verse 11 is also better understood in the context of two things about the letter of James in general. The first is that, and they're, they're deeply interconnected, the first is that James is seeped in the so-called great commandment. Maybe some of you had it come to your mind already when we talked about this thing of putting yourself above the law or under the law. Jesus brings it up when he's questioned by a teacher of the law. What is the greatest commandments? What is the greatest commandment? And what does he answer? Love the Lord your God, love everything else with all your soul, with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love the neighbor as yourself. And James' whole letter is seeped in this understanding of the law and of how we relate to each other and to God. And also, as I mentioned before, James is sort of shadowing thematically the Sermon on the Mount, which we find in Matthew, and in which Jesus deals with a lot of these same issues of envy, of greed, of arrogance, and how Jesus' tradition understands that same great commandment. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. We don't have time to go into all of that with the Sermon on the Mount, but why is this important? Because it brings us even deeper into the root of all of it. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Because the thing is, 
both greed and envy and arrogance, they reveal a lack of a healthy love. They reveal a lack of a healthy love for God, but they reveal also a lack of a healthy love for ourselves, a misunderstanding of our own worth in the eyes of God and a misunderstanding of the worth of our neighbor. Hyperifania is an overdrive of attention to oneself as an expression of lack of believing in our real worth. A self-love that only loves ourselves when we are whatever we think we need to be isn't a healthy or true love for oneself and isn't a healthy or true understanding of the love of God for us. It is not a love that believes the love of God for us and that breeds love for our neighbor created in the image of the same God. Love God above everything else. Love your neighbor as yourself. Dwell in that love of God, and therein lies your worth. Before and after all the other stuff we lay on top of it. I said we don't have time to go into the Sermon of the Mount, but one of the things that is quite amazing about how Matthew organizes the teachings of Jesus in that big block of the Sermon on the Mount is that he kicks it off with the Beatitudes. And I don't think we can understand the Sermon on the Mount if we don't seep and soak ourselves with the Beatitudes as we go into it. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the weak in spirit, Blessed are the peacemakers. The Beatitudes are an unashamed declaration of blessedness and worth over those that we, in the logic of, of this envy-driven world, would consider unblessed. Would consider failures. Would consider less. Those are systems and energies often focus on breaking the poor, the vulnerable, the peacemakers. What do they get for their labor? How do they secure their retirement? But the Sermon on the Mount shoots up with that blessedness over those we might consider unblessed. God loves them. God is with them. James gets the whole range because he wants to declare and anchor us in the love of God for all. From the slanderer, you know, the, those of us in repute speaking evilly against each other and hurting each other to, to the corrupt. To the powerful of the world. And there's something, I think, 
difficult here and maybe a bit perverse in how we read these accusations of James. And we can very easily, again, feel like we are less. Like his correction makes us less worthy of love. Which is why we needed to anchor this in God's love and the Beatitudes to begin with. Because that logic is still the the logic. It's this poison in our veins of this logic that we need to earn it, that we need to do it well enough, right? But here in the gospel, we have the freedom of believing that we are loved, that we are worthy of love, and that we are capable of loving without all the stuff that we lay on top, through all of it, sometimes against it, sometimes dancing around it because we don't quite know how to deal with it, but always believing that we are profoundly and deeply loved and that our neighbor is profoundly and deeply loved and that because of that, we can love each other and that that love can be action just as much as our arrogance and our greed is action in the world. We speak of it differently, but we know it with our bodies. We know it with our experience. We know that our greed and our envy hurts ourselves and feeds corruption and inequality in the world. We know it. We know that our arrogance brings us down rather than lifting us up. But then we have these soft voice of Christ in the breeze saying, I love you. And I love this person sitting next to you. And I love that person you hate. And I love that person you envy. And I love that person you despise. How will that change you? How will that change you? I said last week (laughs) that church is a mess. It is. Well, the world is a mess. We need to learn to love each other in practice in the real world. Beyond the songs we sing, the poetry we recite, the images we make for ourselves, We need to learn the actual breathing, stumbling bodies of ourselves and of our neighbors, of the people we sit with in the pews, of the people we sit by in our desks, of the people we bike by or drive by in in the city. This is community life is where we learn what this means where we help each other counteract arrogance, greed, envy, with believing that God loves us to an extent that it can change us, because he loves also our neighbor.
That's gospel, isn't it? That's gospel, good news. That's what the word gospel means. In a world in which we are all the time trying to build our worth and so often hurting ourselves and each other in the process, at least on a Sunday afternoon, (laughs) we remind ourselves that we are loved and that because we are loved, love can actually change us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you that you may know that he is gracious towards you. May the Lord turn his face towards you that you may know that you are loved, that you may know that he is there so that we may go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve each other and serve the world, serve the Lord joyfully. Go in peace. Amen. Do you want to stay connected with us? Check out our website at oslointernational.church to discover more about our community access additional resources, and join us in our faith journey. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.